Section 15 of The Children's Wonder Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sangat. The Children's Wonder Book, Section 15, Christopher's at Home by Tudor Jenks. Of course, he may have been asleep and have dreamed it all. It's an easy way to explain those odd happenings and queer goings-on that we don't know anything about to say, oh, he dreamed it. But here's the story, just as Kit told it to me. And Kit is a very wide-awake sort of a lad. He's our shortstop, you know. And we don't have sleepy heads for shortstop in the alert nine, I can tell you. You see, Kit had to hand in a composition on Friday. Like most boys in the class, he put off writing it until Thursday night, and then he knew he had to do it. So, he went into the library. They have a good library room at the Johnsons. Christopher Johnson is his company name, and he sat down before their big green base table, spread out a lot of commercial notepaper, got a pen, and dashed right at it. Kit is a good writer and he can roll off a composition just like anything. The subject he took was Columbus's first voyage. He likes historical subjects so he took that instead of my pets or a day in the field or my favorite game which were the others. You see Kit is a lively sort of boy and he reads a good many exciting books and that gives him a style of writing that isn't usual among boys. I suppose most fellows would have begun this way. Christopher Columbo was born in the year so-and-so in the obscure little town of you know its name better than I can tell you, and so on. But Kit likes something snappier than that, so he got his elbows as far out on each side of him as he could reach, held his pen so tight that it wanted to squeal, bent his head over towards his left shoulder, his tongue out like that of a really fashionable pug and reeled off this opening sentence. Little could the proud Ferdinand droop such insolence from a comparatively unknown adventurer. No more, he said, with haughty disdain, tire our royal ears with thy rash schemes. We have no gold to waste on thy vain vaporings, and he would have dismissed Columbus without further party. But here the beautiful Isabella besought him to pause for a moment. A boon, a boon, my lady, she cried, I have jewels in my coffer. Let me sell them and fit out a vessel. Mayhap we may thus acquire waste domains and convert many heathen. I copied this word for word from the first page. Kit can spell when he tries, but he spells just anyhow when he is in a hurry. That was as far as he had written when there came a knock on the door. Now, Kit hoped it was his sister Helen. Helen was always good to Kit, and especially on composition days, Kit fully appreciated what it was to have such a sister. You see, Helen was one of the studying kind, and she would look over Kit's compositions and put a little pencil mark opposite the words that she wanted him to look up in the dictionary. Kit was an honest little fellow, and he told the teacher about it. But she said it was all right, so long as Helen didn't write the words out for him. Helen used to punctuate for him too sometimes. 
for Kit couldn't have patience to put it all the dots and dashes for himself. He said he couldn't bother with them. They interrupted the flow of his ideas. But it wasn't Helen who had knocked at the library door, as Kit found out when he said, Come in! The door opened slowly, wider and wider, until it stood wide open, and then a procession came in, led by a courtly little gentleman in small clothes, wig, silk coat, and waistcoat, and wearing a rapier at his side. He was only an inch or two tall. Permit me, he said, bowing to Kit, much as the dancing master does when you come in late, to introduce myself and my companions, understanding that you have devoted the evening to letters, I have invited myself to be present in order to render any assistance that may lie in my power. I am known as the master of ceremonies, and he bowed again. Glad to see you, mumbled Kit, looking at him with very wide open eyes. Won't you and your friends sit down? Thank you, no, answered the leader. We don't care to delay. We will duly take our places where we belong. Let me look at your composition, and the little master of ceremonies hopped upon the table and began to read it aloud. When he came to the word that Kit had spared in silence, he drew his sword and pointed it towards the A. You are needed here, oh, he said. At once a rotten little gentleman came rolling across the room. The A jumped out of the word, and O inserted himself in its place. He is an usurper, he said. That is my place. I have owned that place ever since the Romans accustomed me to it. Quite right, said the master of ceremonies to Kit. You'll find this title made out plainly in the Latin dictionary. I had no wish to keep him out, said Kit. What shall I do with Mr. A? This last question was suggested by seeing the gentleman who had risen to give place to Mr. O wandering uneasily over the page. Fortunately, we can make room for him between the R and the T in comparatively, said the master of ceremonies, looking a little further down the sheet. So A, looking much relieved, took the place which I at once yielded to him. Mr. I remarked, I always feel out of place in those first conjugation derivatives. Suppose I find a place for myself in disdain a few lines down. If Mr. E will kindly make room for me, I will sit down on the other side of Miss N there. This change was soon made and Mr. E, without saying, by your leave, sat down by Miss T in the word waste, where he felt he was welcome. Adventurer no more, read the master of ceremonies. Where is my friend Mr. Period? Here seems to be room for him. The gentleman inquired for came forward. He resembled Mr. O, but was smaller and had a much less open countenance. He settled down after the word adventurer, but complained of being lonely. Two small boys who were twins came forward hand in hand. Ah, said the courtly leader. The quotation twins. Suppose you two sit down on those high seats just before no more. And now I notice you, Miss N. There's some mistake. You're in your mother's place. Will Mrs. N please come and sit at the head of this row? Being a matron, Christopher, she is entitled to sit at the head of this row. And as these words seem crowded, suppose we move these down a line and call the whole a new paragraph group, beginning where the quotation twins are sitting. Christopher agreed. But as the master of ceremonies turned again to the composition, Christopher blushed and picked up the sheet. I say, said Kit, 
I didn't expect visitors this evening, and I'm afraid it would be a long time before you all find places. Perhaps if you can call again, say tomorrow, I shall have the composition in a little better order. Oh, very well, said the little gentleman, repeating his courtly bow. We had no intention of giving you any trouble. But you see, my friends here are somewhat jealous of their places, and they asked me to inquire whether you had any objection to giving them their rights. So saying, he hopped nimbly down from the table and made his way out of the room, followed by the letters and the punctuation marks. Then Kit went over his work again, and it is really surprising how many excuses Kit found for the visit paid to him. When Helen came in from dancing room, she found that Kit had written a very creditable composition. Where did you learn to spell and punctuate so well, Kit? she asked. Why, at my at-home, Kit answered, and then he told her the master of ceremonies. And Helen, he said in conclusion, I don't think anybody could forget to put in quotation marks after seeing those twins perch themselves on their high chairs to hear what was to be said. Nor could any fellow leave out a period at the end of a sentence if he had seen that exclusive Mr. Period settle himself down and draw away from the following sentence. Then there was an exclamation point, an old lady with both the hands held up in astonishment, who was all ready to express Ferdinand's disdain for Columbus's rash schemes. I tell you, I'm going to get acquainted with these punctuation people, for they are very interesting lot. I think they are, said Helen, and it's really very kind of them to stand around while we read, to explain everything and to tell us just who said everything and how they said it. Where did they come from? asked Kit. Oh, they are quite modern, most of them, said Helen. Some of the older ones have lived many ages, but many are recent. There's the question mark, for instance. He began life as a whole word. So my teacher told me. Query his name was. Then they gave him a nickname, QY, and finally he was written only as a question mark, and people forgot that he bore any relation to the letter Q. I don't remember that I ever paid any attention to those little marks except in school, said Kit. But school or no school, I'm not the fellow to forget my friends, and I'm going to get the master of ceremonies to bring the whole of them around to see me someday. Then it will be the whole Kit and the boodle of them, said Helen laughing. There, that's what Kit told me about the evening he wrote his composition. I suppose he dreamed it, but it was a funny dream anyway, and seemed to have a sort of moral to it, didn't it? I know that it has made Kit a good punctuator, if there is any such word. He uses semicolons now. In fact, I have seen a composition of his telling all about the conjunction of Jupiter and Venus that had real columns in it. His teacher said, my stars, when she saw it, and expressed the wish that all the scholars would punctuate and spell as well as Christopher Johnson did. And then Kit got as red as a beet, and we boys washed his face for him in the snow at recess to keep him from getting too proud. But there's no danger of that. Kit is too good a fellow. End of section 15